So with the topic for today of responding to today's world, and when I spoke with Nicholas about this topic months ago, and I was thinking about it coming up on this week, it seems like that's a changing landscape every single day, right, in today's world, in our country, in our community. And so I did what rabbis do, and I looked to the Torah portion. There's a selection from the Torah, from the five books of Moses, assigned to every single week. So I looked to the one for this weekend for Shabbat, and it's all about a prophet being asked to come and curse the Israelites, the prophet who lacks vision, lacks clarity, and it's his donkey, his ass, who ends up speaking. And I thought, maybe a talking ass is not what I should talk about this morning with all of you. Makes you think of like, what was that movie, Shrek, right, with a talking donkey? But I decided, you know what, we're, we're not going to go there um, this morning. Um, what I want to do is to first share with all of you a story, a story that really came up for me this week, that was kind of brimming up um, for me. And it's not a story that comes from Jewish tradition. A lot of different traditions claim a similar story. But it's a story of an emperor. So many stories about kings or emperors or rulers, right? So a long, long time ago, as all good stories start, right? Once upon a time, right? A long, long time ago, in one of the forgotten dynasties, an emperor was growing very, very old. His legs creaked when he walked. His hair was as pale as a piece of paper. His breath rustled like the leaves of a tree. But despite all of this, his wit was still sharp. His wit and wisdom were the pride of the empire, envied far and wide. And this was good because he had a big problem. He had a really big problem. He had no children. And this meant that there were no princes or princesses, no children who could step forward and naturally lead the empire, having sat at his foot for his entire life. No one was lined up to lead the empire when he was gone. And so as the days and the weeks and the months passed, and he realized that it was growing close to the time when he should really allow someone else to rule, He took time to sit and think and ponder. Of all the children in the land, of all the children in the land, how could he possibly choose who should be the next emperor? Should he pick the strongest, the smartest, the kindest person? What was the most important quality for an emperor to have? How could he decide on the right test of what that quality would be. He thought so, so long about this, his beard grew another inch. He thought so long about this that the seasons passed, the leaves turned and fell off of trees, snow fell from the sky. He thought so long and hard about this, the babies were born and learned to crawl and then to walk. Finally, he knew what he would do. He had thought long and hard enough. He had the perfect test. And he summoned all of his servants and his guards and his helpers to him, told them about 20 children in the land 
that they were to summon. And they went out right away to fulfill his decree. He had them go forth finding these 20 young people who were who showed particular promise. And so they brought them in, 20 in all, a mix of boys and girls, all wondering why they had been summoned. Your home has a need of you, said the emperor to these 20 children lined up in a row. I am growing old and I need to rest. I need a new emperor to carry on in my place. One of you will be my emperor. He motioned to his servants, and a line of servants, 20 in all, came in, each standing directly in front of a child, and handed each one a small box. Into each child's hand, the servant placed this small box, golden in cover, so color, so small you could hide it in your fist. Now there is just one simple test said the emperor after the servants had given the boxes to the children. In each box, you will find a pinch of orchid seeds. Return home, plant the seeds, and grow your flower. Be sure to tend them carefully. An orchid is delicate, slow, and fickle as the wind. It requires a patient heart, a gentle hand, and an attentive mind. The children clutched the boxes tightly. Now return home and sow your seeds. On the first day of winter, return to the palace with your best flower. Thus shall I choose the next emperor. Now all the children went back to their homes. In a line out of the palace, they made quite a sight. And word spread throughout the land of the emperor's test. Soon they would have a new emperor, a young emperor. Everyone in the empire was happy. Everyone except Aziza, that is. Aziza was one of the 20 children selected for the test. She was the youngest and the poorest of all the children. The other children had beautiful walled gardens, and Aziza had a little patch of grass that she had stolen from the chickens. But she carefully chose the best place. She found a spot of sun, and she carefully planted her seeds. Throughout the whole long season, she tended to them, watering them, taking care of them, taking any weeds away from them. And on the recommendation of an old aunt, she even sang to the seeds and spoke to the seeds, willing them to grow. But nothing happened. So she thought she must not be trying hard enough. She tried harder. She spent all of her waking moments thinking about her seeds. What could she do? She found fertilizer. She made sure the sun was perfect, but not too hot. She shaded it sometimes. She watered them. She sang more and more. She barely slept. But the months passed and still not a single sprout from her orchid seeds. She was forlorn. The first day of winter came, and Aziza knew that she had to return to the palace, but all she had was an empty clay pot to show for her efforts. She thought about staying home, but only 20 children were chosen, and 
she knew that she would be summoned to the palace even if she didn't go. And so she went, empty clay pot in her hand, dragging her feet on the path to the palace. The road was well-kept, well-guarded, so there was no trouble, though she was young. At points, it was even beautiful. The sides of the road had trees and had flowers. And as she neared the palace, she passed a patch of wild orchids. She felt hot anger in her chest. She had tried so hard. And yet these orchids had the gall, had the nerve to grow wild and so strikingly beautiful. I made her feel sick. Here in the wild, uncared for, untended, they grew to be so beautiful. Then a dark thought crossed her mind. She could take the most beautiful of the wild orchids and move it to her pot, and no one would ever know. No one could see her. There was no one around on this path. She looked right. And then she looked left, and her hand reached out toward the most beautiful of the orchids. An orchid so beautiful it took her breath away. But as her fingers just touched it, she stopped. She froze. This was cheating, she said to herself. This was cheating. This was wrong. If she couldn't grow anything from the seeds, she shouldn't tend a garden, much less an empire. It was hard, but Aziza knew she was doing the right thing. So she continued on to the palace, empty pot in her hand. And finally, she got there and she entered the castle. And in the throne room, she found, unlike the last time, not just 20 children, but it was brimming full of people. There was hubbub. There was excitement in the palace. Everyone had heard of the test. Everyone in the empire who could make it wanted to see who the new emperor would be. Twenty children were lined up in a row, Aziza at the end. In front of each child was a clay pot. Nineteen beautiful orchids. So beautiful they could take your breath away. And Aziza at the end of the line with her empty clay pot. Aziza's face was bright red with embarrassment. The emperor entered the room to cheers, to excitement. The children cheered, and hot tears were falling down poor Aziza's face, so embarrassed to not have grown a single beautiful orchid. Now the emperor motioned for quiet and surveyed the children's pots, walking down the line, praising the children. He stopped quietly in front of Aziza's pot, and then he went to sit on his throne. Excellent work to all of the children, said the emperor. In a moment, I will share with you who the new emperor will be. I have made my choice. But first, let me explain the true nature of this test. As you know, each of these children were given a pinch of orchid seeds, healthy orchid seeds, or so they thought. In reality, these seeds had been boiled. They were sterile. Nothing could grow from these seeds. What an emperor needs most of all is integrity. 
Integrity means telling the truth even when it's hard. Integrity means doing the right thing even when no one is watching. Integrity means moral strength. And before me, I see one child with strength enough to move mountains. Aziza, you are the only one who did not cheat at this test. You are the only one who dared to step before me with an empty pot. Aziza, you will be the next emperor. And the crowd went wild. Aziza felt herself swept up by the crowd, paraded around the room. The crowd chanted her name. Aziza, which means joyful dance in Hebrew and in Arabic. She had become emperor after all. And all these long years later, the world still tells the tale of Aziza the Honest and the Emperor's Seats. Integrity means telling the truth even when it's hard. It means doing the right thing even when no one is watching, perhaps especially when no one is watching. It means bravery, stepping out into the world, perhaps feeling different than what we see in those around us. It means strength of moral character. In today's world, integrity can feel pretty hard. Integrity, when we look around and see Honestly, it seems like every day in our own country, elsewhere in the world, violence, families being separated, when we see pain, when we feel, I think, and I'm technically a millennial, right? So this is a millennial saying this, right? When we feel like we look more at computer screens than at people's faces, when real, lived, in-person community with real relationship, with hearts touching, what Martin Buber would call not an I-it relationship, but I-thou, thou the intimate personal, when I-thou relationships can seem so hard to come by, integrity can be pretty tough. Because even though it seems like all of our private information is out there, we're each in our own little bubble, right? We're each in our own little bubble. And when it feels like no one is watching, when it feels like there's such a lack of integrity, how do we step forward and act with integrity? This idea reminded me of a story from Torah, a very familiar story, even if you've never read Torah or Bible, of Noah and Noah's Ark. And it comes from the book of Genesis. It's only the third Torah portion in the the Torah. And there's a line used to describe Noah because around Noah, the earth had become corrupt. And Torah defines this in a few ways, but there was broad corruption, um, people not treating each other right, so much so that, of course, God is going to flood the entire earth to start fresh except for Noah, right? Except for Noah and his family. And the, the phrase used to describe Noah is, Noah haya 
Ish tzadik tamim bedorotav. Noah was an upright or righteous. So an upright and righteous man in his generation. Bedorotav, in his generation. And the rabbis of old wonder, why does the text not just say Noah was upright and righteous? Why say in his generation? Maybe that means he wasn't actually that great. But compared to everyone around him, he really seemed like he was a pretty great guy. So he was the best God could choose. God went with Noah. To me, it doesn't really make much sense, right? God is God. So God could make a new person, right? Okay, so, but that's one of the interpretations that Noah, well, comparatively did well. But if you compared him to Abraham, let's say, it would be, you know, Abraham would win, hands down, right? But the other interpretation is, despite everything around Noah that could have dragged Noah down, Noah was untouched. Tamim can also mean pure. Sadiq tamim, righteous and pure. That he was pure, even in that terrible generation when God thought God should just start fresh. Right? What does it take to be a Noah then? Sadiq tamim bedorotenu. Righteous, pure, upright in our generation. What it takes is integrity, right? And I think that's, we're talking about prayer, right? What does prayer do for us? And I don't know if I struggle with prayer. I think prayer means lots of different things to lots of different people and has lots of different purposes. And my belief is God doesn't need our prayer. However we conceive of God, I believe in God who listens takes in prayer, but I don't think God needs our prayers. We do, right? Prayers for us. When we come together as community in prayer and meditation and services, it's to lift us up. It's to give us a breath away from the generation, away from whatever's going on in the world, to process it, to reflect on it, and to be reminded of our highest values, of what we hold dear. Prayer is great, but if prayer doesn't lead us to be righteous, to be to act with integrity in the world, what is it, right? Not prayer, just lahit palel in the reflexive, right? So it's reflective, yes, but just navel-gazing only gets us so far, right? It's that ruach, that breath, that not only we have, but is the thing that we share with all other people. Because life is lived in relationship with other people. That's where we get to live out integrity, that's where we get to be reminded of the difficulties that can come with other people and the beauty and act with integrity at all times, right? That's what prayer is. That's what prayer, God willing, will drive us to do. So we need to be Noah, right? But my is that tough, right? To act with integrity means to tell the truth even when it's hard. Truth can be really hard too, right? When someone says something you know you should call them on, but it'll take time, it'll be difficult how you have that conversation. Truth, even when it's hard, it means doing the right thing 
even when no one is watching, whether we're a leader in our country, in our community, or just in our own lives, right? Integrity means moral strength. The Mishnah Code of Jewish Law that was codified in about year 200 is filled with, well, fighting and debate and discussion. It's rabbis, right? But also with deep wisdom. And there's a phrase in it that I love. And it says, In a place where there are, and I'm going to translate it directly and then explain it. It really means in a place where there are no men strive to be a man. Okay? But we can hear that in a place where there are no people strive to be a person. Hebrew is a gendered language. So the, you have to use the masculine, right? So in a place where there are no people strive to be a person. What does that even mean? Well, it means in a place where no one is acting like people should act. Strive to be a person who acts in the right way. In a place where no people are stepping up, you have to be the one to step up. You, you, and you. In a place where no one is acting in such a way that shows they understand the dignity and the holiness of each other person, then you must act to uphold the dignity and holiness of each other person. In a place where no one is acting with integrity, you have to be the person to act with integrity. Now, just as Aziza in the story learned that making the difficult decision can lead you to greatness, we can sit with that as well in our own lives. We are each leaders in one way or another, in friendships, in relationships, in our families, in our community, in our professions, in our schools, in a place where there are no other people acting with integrity, or even where there are just a few other people acting with integrity. This week, and God willing for weeks to come, may we each be pulled, driven to act with integrity to remember the holiness of each other person, to speak truths, and to channel a little Aziza, that poor young girl who was the only one with the strength to step up as a true leader. Kei nihi may this be God's will. Amen. <laughs>